Chapter 18, Design Bitch. They rattled down the driveway on the running boards of an engine tractor. The sun shone bleakly on emerald fields that could not possibly have supported livestock. Their colour reminded Leah of an 18th century pigment, shields green, made from the chemical reaction of copper and arsenic. In a century of dingy plant-based dyes, the brilliant chemical green was excessively popular, especially for children's bedrooms. Whole families had died. She shook her head to rid herself of the thought. They came to the place where the car lay, half in and half out of the ditch. John Reardon reversed the tractor into place and cut the engine. The place was silent. There were no birds, no insects, no scuttling creatures in the hedgerow, not even the hum of distant traffic. A cottage lay empty in the woods on the other side of the road, its door and windows broken. Kit's hair fell across her face as she hitched the chain to the car. Most of the neighbours moved to the city, she said. I bet they wish they hadn't. You don't have family in Limerick, do you? asked Leah, suddenly appalled that she had not thought to ask this before. We don't, thank God. People we know, of course, but nobody close. Can you unlock the door? Leah Lawless, said Leah. The car failed to respond. She tried again. Nothing happened. The biometrics must have been damaged in the crash. Then she noticed the expression on Kit's face. What is it? Your name is Lawless? Sure. Why? Cool name, said Kit, turning to adjust the length of the chain. Leah went back to the car, bemused. A green tendril of some noxious plant had already begun to entwine itself around the wing mirror. She took off her elbow-length glove and pressed her thumb on the door panel. The door clicked open. She found a packet of wipes in the glove compartment and cleaned her hands. The skin on her thumb had begun to burn. As the car bumped up the driveway, the glyph manifested on the passenger seat in attractively oil-stained overalls. It is a software problem, it said smugly. I know how to fix it. Does that mean I have to stand round and pass the wrench? asked Leah, wondering if the glyph was talking through its virtual hull. Practical assistance is required for hardware issues, the glyph continued. That would include the broken wing mirror the buckled passenger door and the damage to the undercarriage, not to mention the paintwork. Do you think you could reprogram yourself to be a bit less annoying while you're at it? Leah steered around a pothole, but failed to avoid another. The glyph raised an eyebrow. Is that an instruction or a joke? Kit looked at her curiously as she climbed out of the car. Who were you talking to? An AI that is visible only to me while I am wearing these glasses said Leah. Think of it as a digitally enabled imaginary friend or enemy. I can't work out which. Possibly Ethan Blake's spy. But the good news is that it can fix the software on the car. Fantastic. Kit looked around her. Can you see it now? It has rudimentary social skills, like not appearing in company. 
It interpreted the car as a private situation. Leah opened the car's surprisingly capacious boot and began to remove lidded boxes. What's in them? Samples, said Leah, recalling the bank transfer with a sinking heart. She'd taken the money, now she'd better try and earn it. If I'm here for the foreseeable, I may as well try to get something done. Kit looked pleased that Leah was staying around. How about we light the fire in the library? She suggested. Then you can have your own workspace. The library was lined with floor-to-ceiling shelves, leatherback volumes embossed with gold lettering, an enormous carved oak desk with malachite and brass fittings, corner cabinets full of delicate china, and a silver-bound goblet made of an ostrich egg. There was a stuffed crocodile over the door, flanked by African spears and elaborately carved wooden paddles and multiple side tables. A leopard-skin rug with open jaws and fearsome teeth lay in front of a splendid marble fireplace. Beside it was a small table, intricately carved from bog oak. She imagined it the work of some maiden aunt, born of frustration and loneliness and things that had been left unsaid. Kit removed an embroidered screen and lit the fire, rattling the fire irons in the grate. Do you think that you'll be able to work here? Leah ferried her boxes across the room, negotiating a brace of uncomfortable sofas and a charming low chair, embroidered with roses and convolvulus in many-coloured beads. I think so. She located the box that contained paper and pencils and unrolled the floor plan of Carmoyle. Leah worked until the light faded, by which time the desk was spread with samples, fabrics and leathers, paint and wallpaper, and various finishes in wood and stone, some of which had migrated across the floor. She sat up and rubbed her eyes, feeling disorientated and a little shivery. Her notebook was full of sketches in coloured pencil, and she had lost all sense of time. She looked back over what she had done. The sketches were brave and bright, alternative futures for the rooms at Carmoyle, but she had no idea which if any of them was going to work. Leah fingered a swatch of golden fabric and sighed. It was going to take more than velvet curtains to fix what was wrong with the house. She had the unpleasant feeling that she was not alone in the room. Cliff? she asked, her voice echoing uncertainly. But the glyph was nowhere to be seen. A book fell from the library shelves, followed by several more. The lights flickered and went out. The room was suddenly very cold. The lid of the Davenport in the corner fell open with a thud. Leah resisted the urge to bolt, partly because she was afraid of tripping over the multiple obstacles between her and the door. It can't physically hurt me, she told herself. It can only harm me if it frightens me into doing something stupid. Somewhere in the building a door banged. There was a sound of barking in the hall, and John Reardon's sheepdog rushed in, hackles raised, then yelped as though it had been stung. 
its owner followed at a more leisurely pace. Easy, Captain. The dog cowered against him, tail between its legs. John Reardon switched on the light and surveyed the room. Trouble? Leah's whole body was shaking, but she wasn't going to admit it. She knew, without exactly knowing how she knew, that the ghost was no longer in the library. I think I'm getting the hang of it, she said. John Reardon nodded. Good girl. Dinner in half an hour. He closed the door behind him. Leah collapsed into an armchair with a pounding heart. After dinner, Kit suggested that they watch television in the drawing room where someone had installed a wood-burning stove within the cavernous fireplace. The fire blazed behind blackened glass, but the evening had turned cold and Kit produced a pile of elderly blankets, which they wrapped around themselves as they sat, curled at either end of the battered sofa. Every now and then, Kit's foot brushed against Leah's in a way that might or might not have been accidental. How did you get on with the work today? Are you having any ideas about what you might do with the house? Leah wrapped her hands around a mug of tea and warmed her face in its steam. Maybe. Despite herself, she was beginning to feel excited about what could be done with Carmoyle. Like what? Like, this house lends itself to high drama. This room, for instance. Think of it as the Edwardian vernacular, blown up 500%. One wall in William Morris wallpaper, with saturated colours, Really intense pattern, but on such a massive scale that a single swirling leaf takes up half a wall. And the other walls, painted in coral, teal and a kind of yellow. I don't know how to describe it, it's called green eggs and ham. Better sofas, the same style but upholstered in tropical print. Massive scale. And neon velvet curtains. The floor can stay the same, but with a gigantic rug. Kit stared at her uncomprehendingly. It's about respecting the intentions of the house. But in a contemporary way, with modern colours and materials, said Leah, the bookshelves in the library will stay, but I'm putting a rail-mounted ladder on each wall and they're all going to be painted in different colours, coral, turquoise, peach. We'll have traditional wing-back chairs upholstered in olive green and bronze leather. She searched for the words to explain. Have you ever seen Design Bitch? Kit hadn't. It's a TV series. My brother's an interior designer, much more famous than I am, and he did something similar with this old house in Venice. Can I show you? It's easier than putting it into words. Kit handed Leah the remote. Leah tended not to revisit old episodes of Design Bitch for obvious reasons. But now that she did, she noticed that Ronan's Venetian palazzo had a lot in common with Carmoyle, although the arcaded Logia looked much less incongruous in Venice than on a West Limerick farm. She watched, spellbound, while he put it up to the house. Where something was ornate, he made it more so, but in a way that created balance rather than conflict. 
When it was extreme, he soothed it with more extremity. The camera panned from the architraves, glimmering in the dusty light to the angles of Ronan's face, his stimming hands, his messy hair, his startling tea-green eyes. When Ronan was in extrovert mode, graceful and gesticulating, he was mesmeric. After a shoot like this, Leah knew from experience he would spend the week holed up in a hotel bedroom, getting room service to leave his meals by the door. Sometimes he spent whole days between the mattress and the bed, or in whatever other small enclosed space the hotel room could provide, rhythmically reciting the colour chart from Pharaoh and Bull. Ronan's autism was part of the reason why Design Bitch made such good television. At a sensory level, he experienced the world differently. His creativity was fueled by an anxious desire to negotiate a neurotypical world, and his constant failure to do this made compelling viewing. Ronan created drama without even trying. The director refused to downplay his autism or to present it as a disability, and because of this, the series had won multiple inclusivity awards. Privately, Leah felt that Design Bitch was exploitative. Ronan shone more brightly than most people, but he also suffered more, and the more intense his anxiety, the higher the ratings soared. People liked to watch him burn. This wasn't something that she'd ever been able to say to him, though. There was a childish side to Ronan, the part that bought into the hype. He was addicted to the cult of himself. I was no better, Leah thought, that whole celebrity thing. I only saw how toxic it was when it dumped me. She blew her nose as the credits rolled. See what I mean? But Kit, who had watched the programme in silence, sat forward on the sofa, her expression serious and perplexed. I didn't know he was your brother. Leah looked at her inquiringly. Kit took a deep breath. Ronan was here with Ethan Blake. <laughs>